0: just because it's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I mean, just think of all you're missing, the 9,000th repeat of the Ray Lewis story or whatever. (laughs) Thanks for joining us here this morning. And for those of you who might be visiting or uh, haven't been here for a little bit this winter, busy skiing or maybe been sick or whatever. Uh, we're kind of working through the book of Ephesians here and uh, we're, we're in this life of Paul uh, kind of looking at his, uh, his life and we've, we've decided to kind of take a look at what Paul emphasized in his teaching to really capture what Paul's doing as he's going through on his various missionary journeys. The book of Ephesians was one written uh, toward the end. He was in captivity in Rome when he wrote this book, but uh, he visited Ephesus uh, on his uh, last missionary journey, and he spent three years there establishing this church. I guess it was his second missionary journey. But he uh, he had spent three years with these people, teaching them the truth, encouraging them, building them up. Uh, we looked a few weeks ago, Steve mentioned again last week, Ephesus was a, uh, well it was a hub for a lot of things. Uh, it was a, uh, you know, the the temple of Diana or Artemis was there and she was the goddess of fertility so it was a she was a sex god and that was largely the reason for all the traffic it was a very wealthy uh, city it was one that bustled with trade originally it was a major trade center in, in the terms of the port that it had but they had some problems, I'm not quite sure what happened, but they started to have some problems with the, with the harbor, but it still remained a very busy hub of commerce. Uh, it was one of the trade centers of the then known world. And so there were a lot of goods that came in and out of Ephesus. And it's important to know that because uh, how Paul writes to these people, they, he writes to them with, uh, you know, their understanding, with their terminology in mind. Uh, he he communicates with them with, uh, with their terms and with their exa- examples that they would understand. And we're going to look at one of those here uh, this morning. But keep in mind what's happening here now. You know, for those of you who who kind of uh, wonder, okay, why, why is the teaching of the New Testament different than the Old? This is one of those letters that Paul wrote to people who believed. He wrote this letter to people who had a faith like his, where they had put their faith in, in Jesus. And we're going to look at today what that, what that meant, what that gave to them as far as ability to understand in the Old Testament, remember, uh, God spoke to them in a lot of different ways through prophets, through uh, examples, through signs, through symbols, all these different ways because they were spiritually separated from God. They were spiritually dead, absent life. And so they couldn't comprehend spiritual truth. In, uh, in Corinthians, Paul said the man without the spirit cannot comprehend the things of the spirit their foolishness to him nor can he know them because they're spiritually appraised or discerned and so we're on the other side of this now where we're now Paul's speaking to to believers with spiritual thoughts and spiritual words and it's because of what he's emphasizing here in the passage we're looking at this morning. If you wanna turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, we're, we're really kinda of at the tail end of his opening sentence. He's got this huge run-on sentence in the Greek, but we've kinda, of, uh, depending on your version of, of translation, We've kind of uh, separated out the different thoughts with, with periods and, and beginning of new sentences, but we're toward the end of this big uh, introduction, this big greeting, as it were, of Paul's letter to these people whom he knew, most of them, uh, these people whom he'd discipled. And so he's reminding them in this opening here. He's reminding them of what he taught them. He's reminding them of what they know to be true. He's, he's as he says later, stirring them up by way of reminder. And we're coming toward the tail end of that opening uh, encouragement. In verse 13, it says, In him, now this is in Christ. If you, uh, in, in Christ, You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Father God, we just want to lift this time up to you and we want to uh, continue to, to celebrate you and to worship you. And, Father, we do that now as we study your word. And so I pray for your words, and I pray that, that uh, we would all have ears and that we would walk away this morning with a deeper understanding of you and your purpose, your inheritance, and ours. And we give you thanks for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. He's uh, If you look at the verse or the... Well, the verse preceding the one that we started in, verse uh, 12, he had just talked to them about their inheritance, and it says to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And he, this verse 14 ends with that same phrase, to the praise of his glory. Glory keeping in mind that is the point and the purpose of what God has done in his redemptive plan, in his His whole restoring man back to the way he designed him to be, that we would be to his praise and his glory. We would be the praise to his glory. In other words, we would be his ambassadors, his representatives, his, uh, we would be bearers of his image. That is what is normal. That is how God designed Adam to be and his wife to be in the garden. They would be bursting with the truth about God. That is the point of the gospel, That is the whole the apex. That's the that's the the turning point. This is what he's referencing here is that to the praise of God's glory, man is to be, where everything we do can declare the majesty, the, the brilliance of God. And that's what he's encouraging them in. He's reminding them this is our purpose. This is why we are on the planet. This is what we're to be about. And so he he reminds him here in verse 13. He says, You also, in him, you also, and he's referencing you know there were first the early disciples, and and then they went out and spread the gospel. And there were those like them that came to faith afterwards. And he's saying, you know, this is what we were called to, and you also are now called to this same thing. After listening to the message of truth, the that word there is is logos. It's the it's the it's the word. It's the. Uh, it embodies a, a, a concept or an idea. It's not just a spoken word, although it is a, a spoken word. It's not just an it or a then or the the. It's, it's the word spoken that, that brings home a point, that, that embodies a concept, that, that drives home a point. That's what he's talking about there with the message of truth. The gospel, the good news of your salvation Having also believed. You see, this is the epitome of uh, of a Christian. This This is what it means to be a Christian. Believing, believing in Him, this person of Jesus Christ not just the historical character Jesus, not just the, the, the man of controversy in the first century, not, not just the, uh, the, uh, the historical uh, person of, of Jewish origin. We're talking about God the man. Him who knew no sin becoming our sin we're talking about a human being jesus christ who filled with the spirit of his father declared the truth about god by his life this was god becoming a man this jesus This one who was set apart, he was far different than any other. He was the second Adam, the the firstborn among the dead. Adam and his wife were created. Jesus was the firstborn among the dead with life, the life of his father. The Holy Spirit of God giving his human spirit life. And as such, wisdom, power, power. Everything he needed. And when Jesus walked on the planet, he constantly gave reference to the source and the authority of that, that wisdom, that power, that knowledge. He said, I, he says, I do nothing on my own initiative, but everything I do, I do by direction of my Father. The works that, you, that I do, they're not mine. They're my Father's. This is the person, Jesus Christ. God is a man who now suffered and died we talked a couple of weeks ago about that redemption we talked about what that meant it's a ransom paid for you and for me we were alienated from the life of God dead in our tra- trespasses and our sins and we had a f- price on our head we were being held captive by by the world we're being held captive by this Prince and and power of the air this ruler of wickedness from the heavenly places we were held captive by a liar and in bondage to sin and We had a price on our head That we put there the price on our head was our sin our life of independence of God our myriad of, of demonstrations that said I know best for me, I know best for you. All of that sin he paid for and he redeemed us. He he set us free. He set us totally free by laying down his life. He took the whole payment upon himself. He took the whole debt and paid it in full. That's the gospel. Of your salvation the truth of your salvation you've been washed you've been set free as far as the East is from the West whichever that way is I get turned around up here that's how far God has removed your sin from him he holds it against you no more cleansed you in order to indwell you in order to give you life his life he took his life back up again we're going to be uh, Sharing communion here this morning and this is the picture of communion is that he shares his life with us It's no longer an external thing. It's an internal thing. He sends he sent his spirit Into the world. He said in Joel that he would pour out his spirit on on his people That's what communion is all about the picture of the life of God now within the human being now able to do in them what he did in christ in leading him in all truth and empowering him in all things that's what the gospel of your salvation is you work you're restored you can do what god put you on the planet to do and in doing those things it'll be to the praise and glory of him People can actually see him in you. Have you thought about that? And that's what he's reminding them of here. He's reminding them of how that happened. He said, You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. If you flip back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he tells them the same thing. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. And that's what he's telling them here. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Sealed. Going back to Ephesus here, this, con- this trade center, this busy place of commerce. Back in those days, you would emerge a, a, merch- a-, a-, a- Businessman or a wealthy, a king or or a wealthy landowner or whatever. Oftentimes they would hire, they would uh, they would procure merchants in these busy centers of trade, because they might they might want some things or need some things that they can't get in their region. This was a this is where East met West. Uh, was in Ephesus in Rome, and so. Uh, they, would, they would have these merchants under their employ or some of them would actually be their servants there specifically to do the trade uh, of, their, of their master. And what they would do is they would, they would find and secure what their master was looking for. And then they would box it up to be shipped, uh, to be transported to where the master wanted it to be. And in doing so, what they would do is they would seal it. They would would crate it up or whatever was necessary for the the shipping and then they would seal it with with a, a wax seal and they would stamp the stamp of the owner. It would declare ownership. It would would identify it with the owner who now purchased it. It was his and it was in transport. Now it was in transit to him. That's what this, this point of the seal was. It marked it on the outside as belonging to this person who purchased it. Does that make sense? They didn't have UPS. They didn't have FedEx back then. This was the way they transported goods. That merchant would have the authority of his uh, of his employer uh, to seal it with the seal of the employer. It wasn't the merchant's seal. It was the owner's seal. And it was like the signet rings that the, the kings would wear. If they, you know, and they, they, would, they would give their sons at uh, various stages the, their signet rings. And what it was, it was a ring that had their seal on it. And so, like, if they wrote a letter, they'd put a wax seal on it. And then they'd roll that ring across there, identifying it as coming from him and if you had a signet ring it had the power and the authority of the king and that's what and that's what he's saying here is we're sealed with the holy spirit of promise no one could open that except the recipient except the owner himself because it was his and it was shipped to him and he was the only one who could break that seal for the contents within. That's what it meant here to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're marked. We've got Jesus stamped all over us for the world to see that we belong to him. And that's what he's telling these people in in Ephesus. He's saying, you were sealed past tense done deal you're not in the process of being sealed you've been purchased you've been redeemed now you're packaged and he's packaged within you you're sealed with the holy spirit of promise you're marked by the by the ownership of the king the king of kings and the lord of lords and the holy spirit has been given to you as a pledge of your inheritance and his a pledge a down payment. It'd be like if you were going to, oh, oh what would be if, if uh, maybe your dad went away and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna establish this place for you. I'm buying this island and I'm building this awesome playground on it. I'm building this awesome place for you to enjoy. It's, it's gonna. I mean. I'm loaded, I've got all this money I've, and I'm building this whole island just for you and, and our family and, but here's the deal I'm going to prepare this place but I'm going to bring you there with me your inheritance this is your inheritance but I have so much I'm going to give you what you need till it's time for you to come there I will supply to you everything you need. I have so much. I'll give you what you need while you're doing your thing where you are till you can come and join me. I will give you everything you need, everything that's required. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Everything that pertains to life and godliness has been given to us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's been given to us as a pledge of our inheritance. We're marked by him to declare him. That's the point. That's the purpose. Christ in you, he says to the Colossians, the hope of glory The point of glory. The ability of God to be glorified in man. Remember, he says, Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is how it's done. By the presence of the Creator within the creature. Now, we're his kids. We're his family. We're joint heirs with Christ In everything God has. Do you realize that? So what is it to him to give you what you need now while you're in transit? Nothing. He's already given you everything you need. All wisdom. All authority. All power. That doesn't mean that it's going to be everything that satisfies our selfish desires. Because that's not his plan. It's everything we need to be delivered perfectly to him. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No one can snatch you out of my hands. We're his. Do you believe it? You've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The redemption of God's own possession. That's you. That's you. You're his and he's yours. For every one verse that talks about Christ in you, there's six that talk about you in him. You're surrounded and you're marked. You've got the pledge from God. And that's what he wants you to know. We're going to celebrate communion here because this is what he's talking about. This isn't some ritual. It's not some, uh, something that we do on a random Sunday. This is just our declaration, our reminder of this very thing that Paul's reminding them about. This was offensive to the Jews. This was misunderstood by the Jews. Because of Jesus' uh, declaration that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. That was one of those spiritual truths he was t- talking to them about, but they could only comprehend physical physical truth. And so they, they went ballistic, and, they, and, and most all of them left except for the disciples. Remember that? And he said, are you going to leave too? And they said, well, Where do we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? And he told him, he said, the words that I speak to you are spiritual. He's pointing to what we celebrate here, the truth of our redemption, the truth of our being sealed with the Holy Spirit. He says, you're dead in your sins, and you need life. The life is in the blood. Remember, he taught them that from Genesis all the way through. The life is in the blood. You cut yourself, you bleed to death if you don't get the blood stopped. The life is in the blood. That's why he told him, don't eat the blood or don't eat the meat of the animal with the, with the life still in it. That is the blood. He was driving home a point, this point, that we were in need of spiritual life, the bread of life, the fountain of living water, which is what we're celebrating here this morning, the, the truth of the Spirit of God now being poured into us. It's not an external thing of religion. It's not us reaching up to God. It's God reaching down to us. And he said, you're bankrupt. I'll fill you with everything you need. You're foolish. I'll pour in all wisdom. You're weak. I'll pour in my strength. You and I now cohabitate together in that tent. And that's what what communion is a picture of. It's no longer an external worship, it's an internal relationship. The Spirit of God, we look at the, the, the bread as the body of Christ, we look at the, uh, the wine or the juice in this case as the blood of Christ. It's symbolic, a physical picture of a spiritual reality that He's now poured Himself into us, and we're alive. We're alive. The point of communion is not the death. It's the life that's shared. Yes, he died on the cross, pouring out his his life, uh, shedding his blood on the cross for the remission, the forgiveness of sin, but he isn't dead. He's alive. And that's the point of communion is that now through his sacrifice in cleansing us, his spirit and his life itself is now poured into us and that's what we celebrate is ingesting the life of Christ because that's where he lives. He's now in the believer and you're sealed with his spirit. You've got a destination You're in transit. You'll be with him forever. Forever. As the musicians and the uh, elders come forward to distribute the communion, I want you to be thinking about that. As we sing a song, be thinking about the truth of Christ in you. The promise, the hope, the power Christ in you, the hope of His glory. And I want you to be thinking, and I'm not saying this to put a guilt trip on you. I'm not trying to stir you up to do more. I'm encouraging you to be who you are and you're His. When people look at you, do they see the seal of God on you?